0: You are Locked On Cardinals, your daily podcast on the Arizona Cardinals, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Cardinals, your daily Arizona Cardinals podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Welcome into week one of Locked On Cardinals. It's been a lot of fun so far. This is our last episode of the first week. I think we have our best episode ahead of us. I'm going to bring on my former co-worker. That's what you want to call two unpaid people working for an on-campus sports show. The editor-in-chief over at Cardinals Source, Kerry Crowley. Kerry, how's it going? Gavin, it's going great.
0: Thanks so much for having me today. Looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, of course. Um, I want to talk about last night's game. It was a 33-21 to victory for the Arizona Cardinals over the San Francisco 49ers, and I think anyone covering this team or just about anyone following the team knew going in that this was absolutely a must-win game. Would, would you consider it a season-saving win for the Cardinals?
0: I don't think you ever want to say that one of the first five or six games of the season is a must-win game, but for a team that talked so much this off-season about Super Bowl aspirations and finally closing the deal, they had that all-or-nothing series, it certainly felt like a must-win game for this franchise, especially with all of the struggles that the team had faced. And then you couple that with playing a division opponent in San Francisco who's really the worst team in the NFL, even on the road, even in a midweek situation, even without Carson Palmer at quarterback. The Cardinals had to win this game if they wanted to keep their playoff hopes alive. So I think it's definitely fair to label that as a as a must-win situation. And fortunately for Arizona, Drew Stanton, was able to deliver he capitalized on short field situations he wasn't great all night but the cardinals made plays when they needed to and that's something that hadn't happened over the first four weeks of the season
1: yeah i definitely agree with you and i think it was they did exactly what they had to do to win they needed a dominant effort from that defense and for the most part they got it Calais campbell became only the second player since 1982 get two sacks a pick and a safety in the game marcus golden had another big sack he's now leading the nfl in sacks and then drew stanton it was exactly what you said it was a guy who didn't really have a long track record of success in the nfl but was a veteran a guy who bruce Arians really liked throughout the entirety of his career and when he had to he made big plays down the field to larry fitzgerald so let's let's get into that defense a little bit I, I mean i
0: really oh yeah go ahead oh you cut out there for a second so i thought that uh you were finishing up but i I think it is important that we touch on the defensive line and the play of Golden and Campbell last night because that was really the difference in the game for Arizona. When you look at two weeks ago in Buffalo, just how the Cardinals got manhandled up front by a Buffalo offensive line that hadn't established anything on the ground at this point in the season, that was really a demoralizing performance. And Calais Campbell is a guy who spoke in the offseason and this is the most talent this team has ever had. It's the most talent he's ever been around the championship window is open for Arizona, it's almost absurd to have two sacks, a pick, a safety in the same game, and it impacts the game that much. And then Marcus Golden, I mean, you can't say enough about what he has meant to the Cardinals this season. They go out and they they bring in Chandler Jones from the New England Patriots. And all along from the start of the training camp, we over at Cardinal Source have been saying that Golden is the better overall player because of what he's able to do against the run and he sure was great against the run last night, but against the pass, two sacks, he's now got six through five games. That's the type of production you really want to get from early-round draft picks, which Golden, of course, was in 2015. Yeah, and I also want
1: to take a look at that secondary. I think that was the unit that was really considered the strength of this Cardinals defense coming into the year, and obviously Tyron Matthew wasn't necessarily the dynamic guy he was last year before suffering that dramatic knee injury. They moved him back to cornerback for this game, and he really came out and had a big effort from that nickelback spot. There were moments in the first half where he struggled, but he stepped up where he absolutely had to. And then Patrick Peterson remained dominant. I think that cornerback combination really kept Blaine Gabbert from ever getting going. Of course, Blaine Gabbert usually does that for himself, but 162 yards on the night, fourth time in five games, he was under 200 yards. And that was the one thing the Cardinals, I really thought coming in, couldn't allow it to happen for Gabbard to finally go off, and they really did a good job of shutting him down.
0: Yeah, the, four, the 49ers might have the worst collection of skill position players we've seen in the league in five to ten years. But when you have Patrick Peterson on your defense and what he's done throughout the season for the Cardinals, he has allowed fewer passing yards against him now, against receivers going up against him, through five games than any other cornerback in the NFL has given up through four games. He's just been remarkable. He shuts down half the field. And if you're not an elite receiver, a Julio Jones type, you're just not going to have a chance against Patrick Peterson. And he completely took Torrey Smith out of the game for the 49ers, a passing attack that has just been dismal this season. But you're right. It's important for Tyron Matthew to get back on the field in that nickel corner role. And sure, he struggled during the first half last night. But if you want to get him assimilated into the scheme, and the Cardinals really have no choice but to do so, with Tyvon Branch going on injured reserve, he was holding down the nickel cornerback spot. You need Matthew to play at nickel corner and to have the type of impact that we all know who have watched Matthew that he can have at, at any point in the game. And so maybe he wasn't at his best last night, but you get him in there on a Thursday night game on short rest when he's not able to practice much during the week, and then you get the win. Now the Cardinals don't play again until next Monday. So that's a ton of break for Tyron Matthew to really rest up, get healthy, and continue to work that knee back to full strength. On the other side of the defense, Marcus Cooper did not play well against the Rams last week. He was responsible for two touchdowns and really was the weak point in the Cardinals' defense last night. He comes up with a fourth-quarter interception, Red Gabbard's eyes, and, He's been a right place at the right time guy for the Cardinals on a team that, coming out of training camp, they had tried 11 different cornerbacks opposite Patrick Peterson. They had not found an answer. Brandon Williams just isn't going to work out this early in his career. So Marcus Cooper also meant a lot to the Cardinals' defense last night.
1: Yeah, and then you also saw the safeties step up and make a couple big plays. Tony Jefferson, obviously, three games into the year, he was the second leading tackler in all the NFL, had that. Big misplay against the Rams that allowed Brian Quick to get that long touchdown. Deion Buchanan stepping up, having 14 touchdowns. It was just really a solid, solid effort throughout the entirety of the defense. I, I've been saying for weeks, I think Tyron Matthews, the guy that can really elevate the level of this defense. And for a team that, out of those first four games, really could have pretty easily one or two plays go differently, have been 3-1, I thought he was the guy who could potentially step up make those big plays and kind of change the course of those games. This time it was Calais Campbell, but in future weeks I see him as a guy who can do that. Flipping to the other side of the ball, it was really exactly what you needed out of David Johnson, an all-pro type of performance for him, 27 carries, 157 yards, two touchdowns. That's the highest yardage total in the NFL this season. Johnson became the only player in NFL history to have five consecutive games with at least 100 all-purpose yards to start a season. They're really incredible for the second-year running back, do you see him as the type of talent this Cardinals team really needs to build the offense around, given Carson Palmer's inconsistency
0: throughout the year so far? Well, Even Carson Palmer and Larry Fitzgerald, the, the guys who have led this franchise the past three seasons, have basically said this is David Johnson's team now. They know talent when they see it. The Cardinals running back coach, Stunt Mitchell, has not minced his words. He thinks Johnson can be one of the best players to ever play the position, thinks he might, might end up being a Hall of Fame caliber back. And you're talking about a guy who has not even made 10 starts in his NFL career, but Johnson just runs so fluidly. I mean, it's pretty remarkable to me with all of the talent evaluation that goes on that he was a third-round draft pick out of northern Iowa because he's just a can't-miss guy. He does so many different things for this offense. Not only is he a dependable number one, he's as dependable of a number one back as you'll find in the NFL as a runner he's a pass catcher as well. That's why he's got 100 yards of scrimmage in each game. It's not just his rushing stats that are adding up. It's his receiving stats that are as well. And then he's done a great job in blitz protection for the Cardinals as well. He's better at that than Chris Johnson was, who's now on injured reserve, than Andre Ellington was. And if Stephon Taylor's in the game, you basically know that the Cardinals are passing the ball. So to have David Johnson back there as an every-down back, is just so critical, and they really do have to build this franchise around him moving forward. Carson Palmer is 36 years old. Larry Fitzgerald is 33 years old. They're getting to the end of their playing career windows, but Johnson is just at the beginning. And sure, the lifespan of NFL backs is certainly short, but you just get the sense that Johnson has a special career ahead of him with all of the vision that he has, with the patience that he has, and really the durability that he has. He looks so strong. You're talking about probably the hardest position in the NFL to play on a Thursday night because you come back banged up from a Sunday, and all Johnson does is deliver a 27-carry, 157-yard performance when the Cardinals absolutely needed him the most. Yeah, pretty incredibly, this is only the second
1: 100-yard-plus game of his career, rushing the ball, and it seems like it's, a, it's more related to workload than anything else this year. This is the first game that he got over 20 carries and obviously outside of tampa bay where they really didn't need him to do that much it was the first game they really had an opportunity to get the ground game going kind of waste clock as the second half went on but i kind of want to look towards carson palmer and what you expect out of him coming back he we haven't gotten anything definitive yet but it looks like he will play in that monday night game against the jets in a week and a half what, what do you expect out of him coming back and do you see him as a guy that can really elevate the state of this franchise
0: at this point in his career? Well, there's, there's no comparison between Carson Palmer and Drew Stanton. Anyone who looks at the two quarterbacks will say that Palmer is clearly the guy and that he is just so, so far superior, so far developed as a passer. and He's got all the experience in the world, but during the preseason, during the first few weeks of the season, Carson Palmer made it look like his 2015 campaign was an aberration, an outlier, because throughout his career, he's been so interception prone. Three different seasons in which he's thrown 20 picks. I think he's had six seasons in which he's averaged at least one interception a game. He just throws too many balls in jeopardy right now. And that hasn't changed throughout his career. Sure, last season, he only threw 11 interceptions. And that's what enabled the Cardinals to have that 13-3 and season, get them to the NFC Championship game. But you look in the playoffs. He struggled at the beginning of the preseason this year. He struggled. At the beginning of the regular season, he struggled. He's always going to be able to give you 275 to 350 through the air, a couple of touchdowns, maybe even three touchdowns. But there's going to be that pick or two picks mixed in. So, sure, Carson Palmer can lead this team to the playoffs. And, yes, NFL teams have succeeded in spite of their quarterbacks before. You look at the Denver Broncos last year. They were good enough to win the win the Super Bowl on their defense alone. But what really worries me is for the playoffs, Carson Palmer is going to go against elite defenses. What happens if the Cardinals run into the Vikings in the playoffs? That's not a good matchup because he's so often throwing the ball into holes and zones where he thinks they exist, but really defensive coordinators have tricked him into thinking those holes exist. And that's why Carson Palmer is somewhat of a liability for the Cardinals moving forward.
1: And I'm not sure how this actually manifested, but I think, It's kind of what we've talked about, about committing to David Johnson as the focal point of this offense. It has to be all about using the run to set up the pass, particularly with the offensive line being pretty solid run blocking, but generally poor in pass protection as the season has gone on. That being said, I think they took a step up despite both Evan Mathis and Mike Iupati being out for a pretty significant portion of this game. Drew Stanton only sacked once, obviously, It was a conservative game plan, and Stanton didn't take a ton of shots downfield. He was more willing to throw the ball away and not put it in jeopardy. That being said, would you consider this a step forward for this offensive line, and how does that open up Palmer's game going down the road? Because for my money, I thought he looked nervous, basically, that whole Rams game, and he was seeing rushers when they weren't even there, and that was affecting the
0: throws, even when there wasn't actually pressure coming. It's it's really hard to tell uh, when – the Cardinals go up against a team like the 49ers because San Francisco had lost Navarro Bowman, its best defensive player, one of the best defensive players in the NFL. It was its first game without Bowman. Then the 49ers lose to Forrest Buckner. He's unable to play. So you're going against a team that is just so depleted. But, yeah, the Cardinals' offensive line had a much better game. IU Patty was dominant when he was in there as a pulling guard. I mean, he was opening up holes for David Johnson and just was a game-changer. Uh, in in the run game, especially on outside zone plays. And then Evan Mathis is a great run blocker, but Evan Mathis is going to struggle with injury issues throughout the season. He's the oldest offensive guard in the league at 34 years old, so you're not really sure what you're going to get there. Remember, D.J. Humphreys is still a first-year offensive tackle, second year in the league, but first year starting, first year playing, because he basically took a redshirt season last year. And I'm still not sold on A.Q. Shipley as this team's center Sure, Shifley is able to identify calls with the line of scrimmage, is really lauded by his teammates for his preparation skills and his ability to dissect defenses. But at a certain point, Lyle Fenline was able to do that for the Cardinals in previous seasons. He just wasn't as athletically gifted of a player up front. So that's, that's some reason to make you nervous if you're Carson Palmer in the pocket. and We know that he's had a couple ACLs in the past. He's had those injury issues. For me, I don't think Carson Palmer's biggest struggle is with pressure. I think it's with trusting his arm a bit too much and not being able to dissect complex looks from defenses because when you get in the heat of the moment and you want to make plays, it's so tough when you're up against defenses that that are throwing things at you, that are complicated, that force you to get to your second and third progressions. Even in the NFL, even the elite quarterbacks struggle with that. So it's hard to say. I mean, The Cardinals know they have to rely on David Johnson, and it's unfortunate that you have to use him 27 times on a midweek game to beat the worst team in your division, but the Cardinals had to win. So it'll be interesting to see moving forward, and I want to give it a game or two more before I really make a full evaluation on that. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I think
1: it's kind of a situation where he's enabled by all the talent they have at wide receivers. When you have guys like Larry Fitzgerald, John Brown, who regressed a bit this week mostly due to quarterback play, and then a guy like Michael Floyd has been inconsistent but has a lot of talent, it almost enables Palmer to take those shots downfield and be aggressive and not think as much as most NFL quarterbacks do and just trust a receiver to go up and win a battle downfield. But that's, as you said, kind of been backfiring on him because he's gotten – so reliant on it and so reliant on using that deep game to set up every other facet of this offense. It just never really seemed totally sustainable, and you were right about last year being an aberration, and if you took any step back at all, that passing game suddenly wasn't going to look so dynamic, and I think that's exactly what happened. Given that, what do you see as the long-term upside of this Cardinals team obviously came into the season widely considered a Super Bowl contender, if not one of the two or three favorites in the entire league, They were pretty mediocre over the first four games. They took advantage of an awful team last night. Where does that leave them in the context of the whole league?
0: I mean, if you're the Cardinals, you just have to scratch and claw your way to the playoffs this year. Because once that happens, anything can happen. Uh, How how the mighty have fallen with the Carolina Panthers and the uh, Arizona Cardinals, two teams that were playing for the NFC Championship last year and just – haven't looked quite the same yet this season. But then you have these upstart teams right now. The Rams look good. They've already got a win over the Cardinals. The Falcons have looked great offensively so far. But I I think that this season has been somewhat slower developing for these NFL teams. So it'll be interesting to see how the Cardinals end up faring toward the end of the year. Uh, Last night was just hard to get a read on this team because they played so poorly in the first half. And you're playing against a team that is – going to be in the discussion for the top overall pick next year the 49ers just aren't on the same level that other nfl teams are on they're really really bad so yes the cardinals got the victory but i think you want to see them against the jets and then you need to see them against the seahawks the following week to really have a good grasp on what the overall capability of this team is if they go one and one they're looking at maybe a wild card shot at best if they go two and oh Then all of a sudden they're back in the hunt for the division. The Cardinals have been known to string victories together. I think at one point last season they had seven in a row. It's a team that is loaded with with veterans. It's guys who have been there and done that outside of winning a Super Bowl. And it's hungry guys who were really disappointed in their efforts in the first few weeks of the season. And, yes, they haven't figured everything out last night, but they are dead set on getting this right. And they've they've got the type of veteran leadership that you really are are jealous of if you're another NFL team. They've got guys in Calais Campbell, Larry Fitzgerald, Carson Palmer, even Tyron Matthews is just in his fourth season, Patrick Peterson as well. That's that's just five guys right there that are all worthy of being captains for this team and can really lead the locker room. Yeah, I think
1: to the Cardinals' advantage, their end-of-season stretch is looking easier and easier. By the day, they play the Redskins at home, an inconsistent Washington team. They travel to Miami. Then they take on the Saints at home. They go to Seattle, which is the one game that I think you'd project a loss on. Then they go to the Rams, who obviously just beat them. But you've got to figure if Arizona is going to figure this thing out in any meaningful way, that's a game that they should win. So it really is just about these next three games and kind of keeping your head above water. That is, the Jets and Seahawks at home. Then they go to Carolina before a bye. A 2-1 and one stretch in those games I think puts them in a really good position to make the playoffs. They go 1-2, and two. they're very much alive, but suddenly you're kind of working from a deficit for the rest of the year. If I had to ask you right now, does this Arizona team make the playoffs, what would you say
0: to that? Oh, that's, that's a tough question. something I haven't thought about as much in the past 24 hours because yesterday, especially after the first half, I was saying to myself, I don't think it can happen. I, I yeah. think for the Cardinals to get to the playoffs, you have to go 3-3 three and three in the division. They're 1-1 one one at this point, and you've got two games against Seattle coming up and a game against Los Angeles still on the docket. You get San Francisco again That's at, and at home, you're going to win that game guaranteed. So 3-3 three and three in the division, you're still in the hunt for a wild card. I, I don't see any reason right now to... Disqualify them for the, from the playoffs. I don't think it would be wise to write this team off because, as I said, they have so much talent on the offensive side of the ball in Fitzgerald and John Brown, and of course, in David Johnson, is the best player on the team right now. So I, I think if I were to guess, I'd, I'd give them a 65% shot of making the playoffs right now. But that's, I, I haven't done as much thinking about that in the last 24 hours as I probably should have. All right.
1: Well, that's uh, I think that's the percentage that Cardinal fans will take after the start that they had to the season. Uh, Kerry Crowley, you can check out all of his work at SunDevilSource.com. Kerry, any anything in particular you guys want to plug this week? It's, it's, I said your other site. You also have of course Cardinal <laughs> Source.
0: Yeah, we've got uh, we've got some great stuff on SunDevilSource coming up. If you're an ASU fan, if you're uh, in the valley, always check us out on SunDevilSource. And then Cardinal Source, we've got some some really cool work going up. We'll have our Upon Further review pieces where we look at different elements of the game, do some film study, and uh, t- and talk about the different things that enabled certain certain plays to succeed. And a, lo- a lot of people kind of like that niche coverage that we've been providing. So uh, thank you for allowing me to plug the site. I'm, I'm glad we were able to do that.
1: Yeah, I know as someone who's just kind of started to really learn about this team and dive deep, I've, I've been reading all your stuff, and it's been Invaluable in learning about the Arizona Cardinals at a deeper level than I think you get at most mainstream sites. And even, I'd say, a lot of the stuff you get on ESPN about this team. So I couldn't recommend that enough. Uh, yeah, you can find all Terry's work there as far as this podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you want to do it on your computer, you can look on Audio Boom. We're going to be back Monday talking about Carson Palmer, his legacy, kind of his, his long term trajectory, and kind of some of the things we touched on but didn't necessarily. Dive in on on this podcast, Kerry. I really appreciate you coming on.
0: Thanks, Gavin. Good luck with the podcast. Enjoying the listen, uh, listening to it, and I'll uh, be sure to tune in in the next few weeks. Of course. Thanks so
1: much. What's you doing? Ran out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. <laughs> Bye, singing dog. <laughs> Bye, goal.
0: I pronounce you. Bye, by
1: wedding t- ceremony. <laughs>